Hey everyone, welcome back to the Stay Curious Podcast, a podcast where we want to help you learn how to think instead of what to think, um, and where we want to encourage diversity in thought, not division in community. My name is Matt Fisher. I'm the creative director here at Hill City, where we are recording this episode and every episode, and I'm here with uh, another member of the Hill City team, Mr. John Wagler. John, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. How are you, Matt? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. Um, we got a heavy topic today, so we're gonna we're gonna skip the preliminaries of hey, how you doings? Um, Let's get and, in it and get right into it. Today, we're gonna be um, recording and distributing the first episode in a three part series about abortion. Um, now, since the day we launched this podcast, we have gotten emails, text messages, and like in person requests asking, um, you know, hey, are you guys gonna talk about? abortion. Um, and then once things started happening in Alabama and Georgia legally, um, that kind of ramped up a little bit. And our goal was to talk about it from the beginning, but um, we wanted to make sure that we were sensitive about the topic um, because it affects real people's lives um, more so even than other things, you know, Game of Thrones or uh, economics. It makes the other things we've talked about seem... Uh, Trivial. Trivial. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We are going to talk about it, John and I, but we are super aware that it is problematic as all get out for two white men to sit and talk about abortion without highlighting and in introducing into the conversation the voices of women. So over the next two episodes, we are going to introduce uh, two female guests who are on different sides of the spectrum, different perspectives um, between pro-life and pro-choice. Uh, interestingly enough, and we don't want to like sort of spoil those episodes, we want to let our guests talk for themselves, but interestingly enough, one of the women that we're going to have on um, kind of came from a very pro-life background and moved into a more pro-choice ideology. And the other one is the opposite. She was a mo more pro-choice ideology and moved into more of a pro-life um, stance. So that's going to be super interesting and very important. They are the real sort of stars of this um, series. But we are going to have this little intro episode for John and I to chat a little bit and kind of set the table. Is that fair, John? I think it's very fair. And and I also, you know, I want to be clear that we are very sensitive to that, like you said. And um, but, you know, I think some people are like, well, two guys can't talk about it at all. And, and, I, and I completely understand why someone would say that and everything. And to a lot of what they're the place that someone might come from in that, I would say, of course, like I there are things that you and I cannot talk about like what it's like to be in a woman's body and what like all those things that that's not our place you know and so we acknowledge that and aren't going to talk about that or state any kind of opinion on that uh, we're gonna take a little different route and kind of how we view this is we want to just set the table of the perspectives for for you and I but then also just conversationally start building something to be then led into uh, the two great women that are going to be on here in the next couple episodes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so without further ado, John, let's you and I talk a little bit about where we're coming from um, on this particular issue, both as men, as fathers, and as Christians. Um, so, you know, worth mentioning that um, we are always going to be talking from a Christian worldview. Also, uh, a little bit of a trigger warning. We are going to be talking about abortion. Um, occasionally on these episodes, we will bring up things like 
you know, exceptions for incest and rape. And it's just a generally sensitive topic. So if that's something that you feel like you are not in an emotional place to deal with, we don't want you to feel snuck up on. Um, So just know that, you know, we're going to be talking candidly about this stuff over the next three episodes. Let's start off with some common ground. So, John, you and I kind of come from different perspectives. That's kind of the whole point of the show, right? (laughs) Right. Um, And that's certainly true on this topic. But before we get into the difference in our perspectives, let's talk a little bit about what we agree on. Yeah. Um, I think the first thing that you and I agree on, and I think one of the reasons that we can have this conversation, um, is that we both have a deep and abiding love and respect for women, for our wives, for our mothers, for the women out there who are doing awesome things. Um, and that's a biblical perspective. Can you kind of talk a little bit about how um, you and I's shared theology might differ a little bit or, or how it sort of plays out that we really see women as a valued and equal part of everything around us. Yeah, I think when you look at the entirety of Scripture, you have to acknowledge the fact that at the beginning, men and women were equal. And even when people use the word helper as like a way to say, oh, you know, or came out of Adam's rib or whatever, like when they use things around that, they're not, they're doing a disservice to what the actual interpretation of those scriptures are. And like, for example, like the word helper uh, in the Bible, the only other place, places that the word helper is like really uses to describe God. Okay. Mm-hmm. So even like the way that, that it's written in Genesis, a, a descriptor of women in the Bible is the same descriptor to describe God. All right. So, so from, from the start, we see it right off the top. And then throughout the storyline of the Bible, there are some things that come into play that demean women. Mm-hmm. and But God never says that that's okay. And uh, men are the ones doing it. And it's sinful and it's evil and it causes a lot of harm. And uh, all throughout the Bible, that is never propped up as an acceptable way of treating women. And so, uh, and then you kind of get into the New Testament of things too. And even when you look contextually, if you kind of look at the Bible historically on how it elevated women, it was doing things historically in context of when those things were written that no other religion, no other kind of secular belief was ever doing with women. Like, so the Bible was constantly being like, no, 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 that's not okay. Like, we elevate women, we empower women. And it was always something that was so far beyond what was actually happening within cultures that time. Uh, and so, and that's not hard to like prove. And so uh, even you kind of get what Jesus does and um, how Christianity started in the early church and everything, it's just women are elevated everywhere. And, uh, and so then for us as males, uh, we see that even in uh, times where like when people talk about patriarchy and toxic masculinity and things like that, um, there's nothing there that you can tie into the Bible in, in, a, in a good way, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think when we talk about our love for women and common ground, it's like, yeah, it's based off of the Bible not only tells us to do do it, but like it's what's right, right? So we empower and elevate women. Like yeah. That's what we do. Um, cool. And another thing that we agree on is that we love not only our families, but families in general mm-hmm. and, and babies. Of love course. babies. Love, I love a baby. Nobody. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyone who's ever been around me and some babies. <laughs> I, lo- I love having babies. I love other people's babies. So we love babies. We love families. We want what's best for both of those, you know, units, um, as well as, you know, society at large. But we, we really agree on that we want what's best for people. And that at no point in this discussion, um, I think, it, are we ever trying to communicate or are we ever coming from a place of like, 
well, the woman is more important or, well, the baby is more important. We equally value people, life, um, and families. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Um, obviously, we agree on Jesus. Um, I, like I've already said, we're coming from a Christian perspective, so just please know that we are not... And I understand if someone would want to accuse us of this, and I would love to have a conversation with that person. Um, but please don't think that we are trying to take a conservative or progressive social value and shoehorn it into the Bible. We are really trying, sometimes failing, mm-hmm. but really trying to form our worldview from the Bible, not cram our worldview into the Bible. Yeah, it's easy to do that. It's easy to cherry pick scriptures or it's easy to to try and do like a blend. But the challenge is to say like, okay, what did Jesus actually teach? How does that fit into how we see the Bible? And then what does that mean for us as we think about love and life and sex and culture and even politics, right? And so I just think it's important for us to to start there acknowledge none of us get it 100% right. Uh, we've all got stuff to learn. And, you know, then we go from there. Yeah. Like, that's what we do. And so, and you and I both come from the same place with that. So, yeah. And if you call yourself a Christian, you've got to start there too. Yep. Uh, that means that as a Christian, you should be coming from, what does Jesus say about this? Mm-hmm. So I want to be very specific about, that doesn't mean that, like, you can dig into and take out of context something from Deuteronomy or even something from the Gospels, take it out of context and be like, well, this is why that. Like Christian means like Christ. Um, So we are informed. And if you call yourself a Christian, we would hope that you are also informed by the teachings of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And, you know, uh, one more thing that we wanted to kind of clarify as far as what our similarities are, and this may set us apart from some of you who are listening, and, and we understand that. And again, if you want to email thoughts or questions to um, stay curious at hillcityrva.com, you can do that. But John and I are both coming from a place where we do not believe that theocracy, so the church dictating what the state does, is a good idea. Um, now, for me, I, I want to know a little bit more about what that means to you, John, because for me, being seen, and we try not to break into camps, right, of like yeah. progressive, conservative, liberal. Democrat, Republican, but I think for me as sort of the being seen as the like, quote, progressive guy, when I say I don't believe in theocracy, I think the church and the state should be separate. People are like, oh, yeah, of course you believe that. (laughs) Um, But I think for you, both as a pastor and sort of either the center voice or maybe the slightly sometimes more conservative voice, that's more of a the stakes are higher for you to say, yeah, I don't think theocracy is a good idea. Tell me what that means to you. Like, why don't you think we should take what we see in the Bible and directly apply it to the law of the land? Yeah, so I think what we do when we take a look at the Bible, I think it should allow us to inform and question and maybe provoke some thoughts into the laws of the land. But when you talk about why don't I want a theocracy and like Christians to dictate the laws of the land, it's because... You're talking about power, which is opposite of how, like, Jesus is like, we're supposed to give up self, you know? And so whenever power gets involved, it always leads to idolatry, it always leads to greed, and it always leads to whatever's good for me. And someone might be like, well, it doesn't have to. And I'm like, yeah, but history's just not on your side. Like, right. the when you look at whenever the church and government uh, starting with Constantine in particular, whenever, and you can go in the Old Testament and see this too about when Saul and David became king and everything, but like whenever the church and government decide to go all buddy-buddy 
and hand in hand and stuff, the church loses every time. It's, it's not sometimes, it's every time the church loses. There might be a little, like, sweet little honeymoon season, but eventually uh, the church succumbs to power and greed, corruption, um, idolatry, comfort, all those things, and you compromise some of the core values that you want to hold near and dear to your heart. Honestly, what Jesus always taught, we did a whole series on this, but like what Jesus always taught, that there are two separate kingdoms. Mm. There just are. Like there's the, the kingdom of God and that the way that that lives out is one way. And then there's the kingdom of man. And it's a very different thing. And, and there's some room there to say that those, you know, like that governments are in place for a reason and, and that kind of stuff too. But when someone's like, no, we need a theocracy and we need, just need all Christians in government and Christians to do this. And I'm like... Oh man, like in theory, because I believe in the Bible and I love the Bible and everything, I'm like, yeah, in theory, that sounds like a good idea. But in practicality, it just never works out that way because of power, mm-hmm. because of greed, because of idolatry, and because of comfort. And when those things start playing itself out, that's how we get the crusades. Mm-hmm. That's how we get all those things, right? That people are like, what about when the Christians did? And I'm like, well, that's because they got married to the government and tried to make all the rules. Right. So, yeah, we want to be clear about that because it's easy, um, especially in our country, to when people talk about their beliefs or their morals, to automatically assume that um, if that is not in line with your beliefs or morals, that they are um, doing a sort of microaggression on you because they're voting against you. So, like, I know a good example in a different um, area is, like, I know people who are not for... Um, LGBTQ people getting married in the church, but would vote every time for gay people to have the same rights in their marriage. That, sure. You know, just an example. So we just want to be real clear with people that we are going to be talking about our experiences and our uh, the women that are coming on are going to be talking about their experiences. And we want you to not automatically draw conclusions about how that person votes or how that person wants you to vote or anything like that. Does that... Is that fair? It does. Yeah. And I would also say this when it comes to this discussion that I think we need to stop viewing this as good and bad people mm-hmm. or good and evil people, because I, I hate when people go that route of like, well, I'm on the good side, you're on the evil side and everything like that, because, man, it goes back to we're all created in the image of God. And like to start viewing people as good versus evil, that creates the divide. I think actually where we are right now, it creates that divide. And so um, I think it's important to do that. And I also think it's important for us to acknowledge the nuances of some of this stuff. Now, we're not going to get into the minutia of all that stuff. And that's for, you know, side conversations and everything, too. But but there are some gray areas politically to talk through some of these things and different perspectives that are totally valid and what works and doesn't work and and everything, too. And, and we do live in a culture now where uh, when you want to talk about nuance, you're viewed as weak. And uh, and so I think it's important for us to to not do that and accept the fact that uh, we can come from different perspectives and we can have some like some really good ideas coming from a different perspective and appreciate the nuance in the discussion too. So I think that's really important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we also though have different perspectives. Yep. Um, so yeah. we want to talk a little bit about that. Um, and then again, in the next two episodes, we're going to devote an entire probably hour each to um, women's perspectives um, one at a time so that they have the freedom and the space to talk openly and honestly about where they're coming from on this issue. Because ultimately, again, John and I don't know what it's like to be pregnant. We don't know what it's like to carry a life. 
Um, we know what it's like. We both know what it's like to walk alongside somebody who's doing that. Um, but we just want to acknowledge that it's hard or impossible for us to really fully empathize with something that we physically cannot do. Yeah, I, I'm super sensitive to that. You know, I had kidney stones on New Year's Eve. Mm-hmm. And I remember some guy came up to me. He goes, you know, I was talking to my my doctor and he said, it's that's worse than giving birth. I'm like, in no world would I ever say that that's the case. Right. Like I would never even utter those yeah, words. How I have you know? I, I have no understanding what it means to be a woman and like what it goes. So anyway, super sensitive to that part too of just like we can't speak to that. Right. Um, John, you and I kind of have different perspectives on just the overall kind of nuance of when does life begin and what does personhood mean. Give me a little bit for you about why um, you consider yourself pro-life and why that means that abortion um, is not in line with that sort of like moral leaning. Yeah. So for me, when I think about life, um, and and this would, we didn't even mention this, but this would be another area where we do have common ground of like how much we value life in general, right? Mm -hmm. So just because you're saying like, you're on the pro-life side of things, it doesn't mean that you don't love life, (laughs) you know? So... But when it comes to the topic of life of a person and abortion, why I feel like it kind of goes against, you know, biblically speaking for where I see it is when I look at scripture and it talks about um, being made, every human being made the image of God. And it starts in the very first chapter of our Bible. What's tough for me with that is, if I want to believe that, that everyone's made in the image of God, then I have to go along with the idea that we all have intrinsic value before we've ever done anything, mm. like anything. And that so every human that's formed at that point in time has value to God, that there's a soul there, that there's meaning there, that there's something so significant there that it's it's actually life and it's a life that's meant to be lived and and no matter how that life got there it's meant to have the chance to live and have the choice to live and have the ability to um experience life and uh and so i think it starts there for for me being made in the image of god of course there are other verses you know biblically speaking about you know, being knit to, woven together in our mother's womb and God knowing us before we were even born and some other things um, where one of David's kids were killed and the response is, oh, he's up with, with God now. And and so there there are things there within kind of even the Old Testament thought, like early on thinking. Um, and then, of course, just the way Jesus values life in general and what he teaches to it. Um, and then bleeding into the early church history of, because again, abortion's not a new thing. Like it was around back then. And so even when you look at the early church history, um, though there were some differences in how they viewed personhood, there uh, was a consistent life ethic um, that was, uh, they always wanted to get the babies. Like people would leave babies out on the like on streets and Christians were known for scooping them up. You know, mothers that were in need, Christians were known like, no, 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 don't do anything to the baby. Like we will help like nurse you to health or help nurse, you know? And so I just, when you kind of see that, that's how I see it. That's how I gain my perspective of how I view life and personhood and, um, and how that works. And so for me, that's, that's my perspective and on the actual element of life. So, um, 
since we've started this conversation, which it's been going on for a while, but um, dating back to you did a video series that we call Words with Wags, and you spoke a little bit about um, how there's a gray area and that we need to live in that a little bit. And you have been criticized um, on several occasions for not being pro like not being politically pro-life enough or not being outspoken enough. Um, basically, you know, the thought is, well, if you believe this is life and this life is being ended, that's murder and you should be more black and white and forceful mm-hmm. about it. What is your reasoning for not doing that? For not just saying it's murder? Yeah, for not taking, if you believe that it's life from um, conception um, or from some time during pregnancy um, and you believe that abortion is the ending of that life, how do you reconcile that? So, for instance, if we knew that they were just like pulling people out of crowds and gassing them or, or shooting them, we would preach about it constantly mm-hmm. and very clearly, right? <clears throat> yeah. We would do activism to stop it. Why is this not that? So, for me, when I look at uh, intent of things, um, I. I believe that when a person makes this decision to maybe have an abortion, that they're not, as a whole, they're not doing it like just, but, oh, I can't wait to have an abortion. I can't wait. Do you hear stories like that? Of course you do. But I believe that people are agonizing over this, that they're hurt, that they're dealing with maybe it's rape or incest or something, or um, just something that they feel like is so out of their control. And that they're making a decision at that point in time that they feel like they're doing the right thing and they feel like they're doing the healthiest thing and they feel like they're trying to do what's what's good by them and everything. And so to heap on guilt or shame or to use aggressive language and think that that's going to really impact people and maybe allow them to see life differently, for me, I just don't see that as a valid way to talk about that with people or to um, go down that, that I, I believe, you know, I, again, I do believe it's life and, and sure. Could someone come to me like, you're not being hard enough on that. And it is murder and everything. And I, like, I get what they're saying, but for me, I'm like so concerned with the person. And so um, I, you know, God works out the other things like in terms of like, you know, are, are there going to be like millions of babies in heaven? You know, I don't, maybe that's how it all works out, you know? And like, and for those women that have had abortions and like someday they're in heaven and they, maybe they just see, I don't, I don't know. I don't know the answer that none of us do, you know? But what I am really concerned with is one of the other pieces to this is when I think about what God's placed on us, when Jesus teaches about loving our neighbor and everything else that, man, I'm, I'm, I might be speaking with a woman who's, who's really hurt, and who is trying to figure some of this stuff out and maybe comes from a different perspective than I do and and all those things. And so I just take all that stuff into account when I'm thinking this stuff through and having conversations with people rather than just trying to put a stake in the ground, creating more division, more hurt, more shame. Um, I, I just, that's not how I view people, how I view loving people and how I think honestly what could actually curb more like it helps stop abortion. I, I don't like that doesn't work. Like we've, we've tried that route and, and everything to it. And, and it just, that, that just doesn't work. It just continues to hurt people. Yeah. I think that's really a big part of my perspective is I don't, 
when I've heard of someone getting an abortion, um, first off, if I hear about it in a gossipy way, that wasn't my business. Um, and that makes me sad because somebody just gossiped about somebody behind their back. That makes me angry actually a little bit. When someone um, trusts me and loves me enough to bless me with the honesty of, hey, I'm thinking about doing this, or hey, I have done this, or hey, whatever, um, it makes me sad. You know, no matter if it's first trimester or third trimester or whatever, like it makes me sad because it, you know, it is um, the potential for life not happening anymore. And I don't think that an abortion is the same thing as using a contraceptive, you know. Um, at the same time, I'm not sure that I see um, a baby uh, or, or I'm, I'm not sure that I see a I don't think a baby is the same thing as um, what I've heard called a prenate. Mm-hmm. So um, there's a really good book called Trust Women um, that's written by um, uh, she's a Presbyterian minister, actually, who's had abortions and she's just trying to look at it in a different way. Um, and one of the great things she says is both sides have gotten it wrong. Um, pro-choice sides tend to refer to the baby as a fetus, which is dehumanizing and also makes the fetus, you know, makes the unborn baby seem like some sort of like attacker or, um, parasite. Um, and then the pro-life side refers to it as a baby, which makes the woman seem like a, you know, a Ted Bundy, you know, Mm -hmm. like a murderer. Um, and she comes up, she kind of came up with this term prenate, which is this third option. Um, and we talk about that a lot. Like, is there a third option in this? Um, that is, it's um, a life, but it's a very different type of life. It's a life that's inextricably com- connected to another person's life, vascular system, you know, organs, everything. Um, so I just don't see what she calls a prenate as the same as a baby. And I think some, some people do. It's just, I guess I don't necessarily, I can't necessarily say, oh, it's not a life. I'm definitely not in the like, it's a clump of cells. Who cares? Right. Camp. Um, and I think very, few, honestly, in my experience, sorry, I don't want to speak for everybody. Very few people are like, like you mentioned earlier, like to assume that women take this um, choice flippantly is, is misogyny in, in the highest form to think that add like writ large women are just like going out and partying and doing whatever and then like oh no big deal i'll just get an abortion later is i think ridiculous is just ludicrous um and as a as a thought process perpetrated by a patriarchy that wants to control women for whatever reason um on the flip side i'm definitely not like oh no big deal um so i kind of am in this third middle path where um it's certainly important and something to be taken pause over and I and I truly do believe that women do that but it's also not quite life in the way that we think of um you or I or a babe you know a baby out of the womb um or a person on death row or whatever uh is life it's hard for me because like again when I when I'm saying like I believe life is life like it's like hard for me to fathom hierarchy of mm-hmm. life it, it just is yeah like what do, who do we determine what is yeah. life and what's not that's, life. That, that's like a hard part for me yeah yeah and i think i've heard the sort of um well what about um if you're in a vegetative state is yeah. that life that gets brought into the discussion on like a thought experiment level a lot and that really it gives me pause you know because 
no matter what, whether it's somebody who's in a consistent vegetative state and you pull the plug on them, um, you're not giving them the chance to for a miracle to happen. And it's the same with, you know, a pregnancy that's ended early. It's like, it's kind of like I'm more regretful of the potential that's lost than I am of the actual thing. I don't know. That sounds upsetting, but, um, I think one of the reasons that I really fall, that I sort of tend to fall more on what you would call pro-choice is I just can't imagine from a political standpoint, state mandating that somebody trust God with their unwanted pregnancy. I think that God can redeem a pregnancy brought on by rape, by incest, by all of the worst things in the world, terrible, um, you know, uh, either deformity or, or sort of um, shortcoming in the forming of the child. Like, I think God can redeem anything, but I just can't imagine telling somebody else that they have to, that they don't have the choice to to not. <laughs> does that, yeah. does that no, make I, sense? And, you know, and I, I like, when you... You know, you mentioned that in conversation before, and I'm like, I man, I totally see that. I, I really do. I and and I wouldn't even like necessarily even like argue that with you. It, it it's it's more. It's I guess it just always keeps going back to to me uh, the life the the life piece and then the redemptive nature of things. So it's like hard for me the balance to think through like, okay, but I, I do believe redemption. You do believe right, redemption, sure. obviously. And, and then how does that factor into when we think about state mandates and stuff like that? Because man, you know, people aren't going to come from the same perspective as we are about redemptive nature and just be, Hey, trust us on this. Like God can totally redeem this, Yeah, you know? And, and I just, and, and we also know, and I, I guess like when the state mandate part comes in, that's hard for me is, is like if if we outlaw to, are to outlaw abortion then uh it's women will still have them right just uh, illegally and right and, and, and not in safe environments and stuff too so it's like a it's a weird to me it's a weird thing which actually from my perspective brings into other conversations that i don't think we have enough of mm-hmm. which would be like you know sex education continues to prove how valuable it is in actually lessening the amount of abortions. Yeah. You know, the data is crazy. It's crazy. I mean, it's like, I mean, it's like crazy how much it impacts. And I've heard you share even before, like when Jenny was a doula and like how often super smart moms coming in there. Don't know how their plumbing works. Yeah. Like they're, they're high powered and empowered for the, you know, women who are smart and they just like, (laughs) because of our terrible sex education, not because of their own fault, they, they were learning things about themselves from, my wife, you know, yeah. as their doula or their midwife or whatever. And it's just like, that's one of the most stunning data corollaries um, that I've ever seen yeah. is how when you increase um, the level of sex education beyond, I'm going to go ahead and say, beyond abstinence-only education. Correct. Not to say that abstinence shouldn't be spoken of or shouldn't even be highlighted. But when you simply sit someone down and be like, look, kids, here's how your bits work. And boys, here's how girls' bits work. And girls, here's yeah. how boys' bits work. Yeah. Um, and use penis and vagina and use all the right words and explain it all. And and just say to kids, the number one way to not get pregnant is to not have sex. That's it. Yeah. And then 
the number two way to not get pregnant is a mixture of contraceptives. And then the number three, you know, and to talk to boys about what their role is in this. Because for a boy, by the way, to just be like, oh, she's on the pill or like she just needs to get on the pill, you know, like. Those pills are not zero impact. (laughs) They do things to a woman's body that are not a lot of fun for that woman. Um, So just an understanding of that all over the world, Eastern Europe specifically, after the fall of the Soviet Union, I won't get super into it, when the Soviet Union fell and sex education became more dynamic in that part of the world, abortion rates plummeted, plummeted. We are currently in this country at the lowest abortion rate of the last, since 1990. Yeah. Because I think access to contraception, because accessing contraception is not telling kids to go have sex. It's just, again, the data is there. Yeah. Um, Honestly, when I started researching this stuff, there was a part of me that was like, I wish that someone would show me a report that's like, oh, well, in this area of Australia or whatever, that's just like outlawing abortion works 100%. So let's just do it. And I just, I just didn't, I didn't find it. Even on... You know, other the other side, when I would look at like um, abort73.com or um, focus on the family or some of these things that I would consider to be on the other side of where I'm at, I just wasn't finding that one thing I was looking for. Yeah. Um, and that's common, I think. And, and to your point, it's like how many 15, 16, 17 year old boys truly understand what happens with their sperm? Right. And how an egg is really fertilized and all those things. And what does it mean? And in and, and women, too. I mean, it's not just a, a guy thing, but like the lack of sex education and understanding how stuff works is a problem. And it has, to your point, has continued to prove like it, that that is an effective way to stop abortion. So like when we're talking about a larger conversation with some of this stuff, that's where I'm like, we should have better sex education. You know, like we we should... Um, we should talk about like sex in general, you know, have larger conversations just around that to help. Now, again, Christian perspective with Christian people and I get it. And this is where the rub comes in, right? When we talk about state mandating, things like that. So I'm like, non-Christians aren't going to be concerned with what we're as Christians are talking about when it comes to sex, Mm -hmm. they will sex education, but like when it comes to like the value of sex and everything else, typically it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily translate until you can get to the point of like, hey, let me tell you a larger picture, a more robust view of sex that is far more than physical, right? Like it's emotional, it's it's spiritual. It's and so um, I, I don't know. I just think the conversation can get it should be and but we it should be a lot bigger. But we just don't ever get there. Well, and I feel like there is so much. So you and I have just listed our common ground. But even we're both Christians. If there was somebody who I wish that we had a non-Christian here, and if you're listening. A, thank you, and B, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Like, there's common ground between, quote-unquote, secular thought and our thoughts on how to solve this problem. Like, um, like abstinence-only education doesn't work, but yeah. it's just science that if you don't have sex, you don't get pregnant. So it's, right. I would say even in a totally secular environment, that's something that should be um, taught as part of a more robust Absolutely. Um, you know, teaching. But then on the other side, it's like, if somebody comes to you, I'm, I'm from, I am curious about this for you as a, as a teaching pastor, somebody comes to you, they hear this and they go, Hey, Wags, I heard what you said on um, the abort, the first abortion episode, but how can you say that? Um, knowing that if we give teenagers free condoms and free contraception and then teach them, um, 
you know, anything besides abstinence only sex, which is what the Bible teaches, um, how can you say that's not like a permission slip to go sin? Because I was raised in the purity culture with abstinence only teaching and I lost my virginity at 14. And then that's the end of the conversation. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> mic drop, walk away. <laughs> so it's just not, I mean, it's personally not, it's a relevant question, but for me personally, I'm like, well, I'll tell you how it works. Right. Yeah. So it doesn't, it doesn't, <laughs> it just doesn't. Um, well, uh, you know, we're going to do kind of a short episode. We generally run about 50 minutes, but we're going to wrap it up because we really want for you all to hear what the ladies have to say. Um, and we are going to be, um, releasing episodes every week as opposed to every other week. So the next episode with our first, um, female guest will be up next week. So make sure to tune in. But before we do that, we really want to sort of, um, issue a challenge to everybody as we have this conversation. And, um, John, what is that thing that you really want? You talk about it in in your messages all the time, but what's that one thing we're always trying to get people to do? Yeah, like I I always want to challenge people to actually like take the time to learn. Like you be a self-feeder. You you take your your own steps and don't just like accept things as they are, you know? And so even for me in this conversation, like I do have some theological grounding where I feel like, no, I'm good there biblically but you know what i started thinking through but you know what i want to learn more about biology you know so i was reading this guy um, named scott gilbert he's a developmental biologist and he just like says some stuff i'm like man that's like super interesting that i didn't know about fertilized eggs and how you know like in in different things and i'm like he has some stuff there where it might enlighten you a little bit about how biology works and you might realize and actually everyone will realize you don't really know as much as you think you know, mm-hmm. you know? And, and so there's some stuff there that hasn't swayed my thought on life, but like has given me things to pause that like, I think about like the morning after pill mm-hmm. and some stuff that he has said, I'm like, all right, that makes me think a little differently about some stuff there. And in my opinions was, you know, things like that. And, um, and even like thinking through, like just learning new things, like, um, I didn't know that 50 to 75% of all pregnancies in safe women, so safe scenarios, end in miscarriage. Mm. I, I didn't know that, you know? And so then it's like, how does that impact how we think about life and care of women, you know, and stuff like that? I have been reading recently about um, like the mental health for, for women. And when we talk about like wanting to empower and elevate women and just thinking about, man, like some of these stories we hear about women that have abortions and the trauma they go through afterwards even you know it's like how do we help and how do we get involved in that and like learning things there about but stop making assumptions about people and the last one for me honestly and i don't have answers to this um as i've continued to read and grow and learn in this i have been deeply convicted about uh why do males get off scot-free and everything like is there a way in this conversation as someone who's a proponent of life to say, how do we hold males accountable? Are there, um, are there, uh, equal things, proportionality that can happen to them? And I know you can't make them experience labor. You can't make them experience. Well, maybe you could, maybe you could be like, Hey, for next month, you got to go to this place and you got to experience this stuff. But, um, but like the financial stress, the, like all these different things that women have to go through that men have no recourse for in anything and even when people talk about criminalizing like abortion i'm like what about the men Mm -hmm. like i just so even like that conversation around life and everything i'm just trying to learn grow um and do i have everything right Uh, no 
you know, um, but it's important for us to learn. So I yeah. challenge you to do the same. Yeah, I would say the same. Just keep keep going, keep pushing um, to learn more and to keep your mind open. Like the the role of men is a great example. Like if you are on the more sort of progressive pro-choice side and your thought is, which mine is, if your thought is, yeah, um, lower restrictive access to women's health care and abortion um, services is a result of toxic masculinity and patriarchy. Well, then keep going. Like, what is patriarchy's role in unwanted pregnancies in the first place? You know, like, is the whole, th- I mean, like, how high up does it go? You know, like, mm-hmm. keep keep going. You're not even changing your stance of feminism and, and like, wanting to, um, you know, counteract patriarchy. But, like, what is patriarchy's role in women even needing abortions, you know, in the first place? Um, and I would just encourage everyone, something that I have super gotten into the habit of doing is if I feel strongly, feel, not think, feel strongly about something, I will automatically go to the other side and read what they have to say about it. Like, it's so funny because my, um, my like, search history is Gospel Coalition, Focus on the Family, <laughs> Abort 73, like... I just have to acknowledge that humans are writing this stuff, that they have an innate humanity, and that maybe there's a chance they want what's best for people. They just see it differently than I do. And guess what? If your stance is as strong, if your intellectual stance is as strong as your gut feeling, then you're not going to read anything on those websites that changes your mind. It's just going to give you perspective on the issue at large. Um and so I would encourage people to do that. I've actually, I learned a lot about the low, two things. Um, I learned a lot about what the actual, what the actual success rate is for um, pill-based um, contraception. It's actually not as effective as you think. It's still very effective, but it's it was way lower than what I thought. And I learned that on a, a pro-life website. Um, and then I, I looked it up and it was right. Um, and I also learned, uh, some of the statistics, actually there's just like a blatant misquoting of statistics from the seventies. So the CDC did, I won't get too into it. The CDC did, um, a pretty good study before and after Roe v. Wade. And, um, the numbers there are fairly sound, but Planned Parenthood, again, something that's like quote unquote on my side of things have consistently misquoted it and inflated the numbers. And so I'm just like, why don't do that? <laughs> like, don't you're making an already strong argument weaker by like blowing it out of proportion, and that's something I learned from like reading the other side and then fact checking that other side. So, I just encourage people to do that. Um, a couple of quick resources that are good are um, the Guttmacher uh, report. It's a little slanted, but it's about the best data that we have. Um, there's a great website. If you just, I can't remember the URL, but if you just Google pros and cons abortion, it's like abortion.procon.net, but it's kind of a Snopes sort of fact checker thing. Just do that stuff. Like, again, if you're so right, then there, it's not going to change your mind, but maybe you'll find out you're not as right as you thought you were. Well, and that's the only way you can actually love people well. Right. Is by knowing what yep. they actually, how can you love your neighbor if you don't know what that neighbor actually thinks yeah. believes and experiences and then when you engage with someone you you automatically because you've taken the time to learn about them you automatically love them more y- right. you just do yeah absolutely cool well thanks everybody for joining us stay tuned for the next couple of weeks we're going to have two amazing women on who are going to share their stories and their perspectives on this issue um keep talking keep loving one another and and stay curious <laughs>